You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. back as if we never left thank you for joining us once again here at grab them by the pod it's been a while a lot has happened elections have happened big changes are coming to washington dc and so jesse what do you got for us tonight well i think we'll start off on a sad note uh late last week uh former president vice president congressman director of the cia ambassador to china ambassador to the u.n world war ii veteran and some might say hero George Herbert Walker Bush passed away. Uh, this follows the passing of his wife and former First Lady Barbara Bush earlier this year. Uh, today they had the funeral at the National Cathedral. Did you get a chance to watch any of it? I did. Uh, fortunately, it was parent-teacher conference. It's parent-teacher conference week at school, so I have a little downtime during the middle of the day before the parents arrive. And so I was able to watch some of the goings-on. I got to see uh, the casket being taken out of the Capitol. I got to see the, the transport past the White House up to the cathedral and, and be led in there. And I got to hear uh, a few of the first couple of speakers before I had to tune out for a little while. But uh, I was impressed with you know all the pageantry everything that goes into that uh you know george w h w bush was <clears throat> despite our ideological differences was a good human being uh and did what he felt was best for this country and and i felt that he had the best intentions and you know i was also yeah i was enjoying watching the interactions between the former presidents and the former presidents club and everything was good until 45 showed up. Man, it's, it's always how it is. He just ruins it because nobody wanted him there. I mean, Bush 41 wanted him there at his own funeral because, you know, he wants to respect uh, how everything goes. And I, I read something today that uh, George W. Bush promised Trump and Melania that no one was going to say anything bad about him. But you could tell. I mean, you had Hillary Clinton and Lynn Cheney were joking about stuff. And, you know, the, the, the Clintons and the Cheneys can't be any, any further from each other. Uh, but it's when Donald Trump shows up, everybody just started staring forward. Um, no one wanted to really talk or say anything. Um, when the Bushes came in, George W. Bush came over and shook everybody's hand. Uh, he gave he gave uh, Michelle a piece of candy, similar to what he did at the McCain funeral. Uh, I do like. I, I wish they had a reality show. They, their weird friendship they have. Um, and you know, my, I was talking to my parents today. They didn't, you know, they're not really very political, uh, but they like the Alan Senator Alan Simpson speech. I, I really like George W. Bush's speech. And you know, again, what, I wasn't a big fan of him as president, but. Uh, you know, I got a little teared up at the end when his voice started cracking at the end because uh, whether you like these guys politically, whether you want to vote for them, whether you think their policies are good or bad, they're human beings. And when someone's father dies, I mean, it makes me think about our own mortality and, and our own parents. And I, I think you got to put a lot of stuff aside and just look at it from, from that aspect that a guy lost his father. And even if he was in his 90s, it still stinks. Of course. And coming off having lost his mother six months ago. So, you know, like that, you know, both of his parents are gone. He now becomes the leader, uh, mm -hmm. the patriarch, mm -hmm. if you will, of the Bush clan. So, uh, you know, a, a lot uh, falls on him now, uh, the family, and, and they're always going to be politically active. We know this. Uh, so, you know, here we are. This is the new generation of of the Bush family. You've got and George P. Bush 
in Texas, I think, oh, he's a Trump guy, I think, which I find crazy. But yeah, I mean, it's what, what is he? He basically fourth generation political Bush. I mean, it's they keep. I mean, they're a dynasty. They they, they said on CNN that they don't like being called that, but it's really what they are. That's exactly what they are. I mean, uh, the the grandfather. I guess the true patriarch, if you will, Prescott Bush, yeah. was a senator from our great state of Connecticut in the 1950s uh, before George H.W. Bush became a, a congressman, an ambassador, CIA director and president. So this family lineage goes way back and they've, they've always been involved politically. And I expect them to be so for years to come. Well, I, I think a pretty messed up story that I've heard, I don't know if it's true, is that for Skull and Bones, Prescott stole Geronimo's skull and they have that there. I don't know. But, you know, there are people who are critical of, of Bush 41, and you can be critical of any of these people. It's been said over and over, just because someone dies doesn't mean you can't be critical of them. Um, you know, some people don't like the Bush, as we said, the Bush dynasty. They don't like W. They don't like Prescott. Um, they're not huge fans of some of the policies that Bush may have had when AIDS started coming up in the, in the late 80s. Um, you know, they don't like that Clarence Thomas was put on the bench by him. Um but, you know, there are other things that he did, too. You can look at it that are, I don't want to say liberal, but pretty positive. Uh, he nominated David Souter, who's one of the most liberal judges ever nominated by a Republican president. Uh, he was a social moderate. He he led a bipartisan overhaul of the clean air rules. He worked on rewriting the spending and tax rules, which led to an economic boom. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how what history has to say about it. I think history would be relatively positive about his presidency. Yeah, and although he claimed Texas as his home state and had spent more years of his life there than anywhere else, he was a true Connecticut moderate Republican at heart. And and we should be proud to claim him as a fellow nutmegger, Jesse. Hey, I, I always like, whether I like the president or not, I think it's cool to have somebody from our home state who becomes president. Um, I, I think second in people's memory of him will probably be Dana Carvey. Like, you know, can't do it, wouldn't not be prudent. Not <laughs> It's bad. It's bad. But I think the thing that people will always remember him by will be the the fateful six words: "Read my lips, no new taxes." Which you know then came to hurt him when there were new taxes. And I think it's unfortunate because I you know it's it was a time you know where Schwarzenegger was big. You had to be have the tough guy stance, and everybody loves a a, a good uh, a good quip like that. But I, I think his presidency will be more than. And I, I would say actually third people will probably remember him throwing up on the on the guy from Japan, right? <laughs> But, That's right. I had almost forgotten that. One. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, it, you look at him and you look at Trump, and it's funny. I've heard from lots of people, uh, both you know, people I've been talking to and just people I've been reading online and been tweeting us that when people are saying nice things about Bush forty one. It almost sounds like they're saying something negative about Trump because all the things they're praising uh, Bush for are things that just Trump doesn't have. Right. It was completely unintentional. It's not like people were going out of their way to knock the current president, but it just shows what a stark contrast there is between George H.W. Bush and Donald Trump or, or just in good natured, good politics of years gone by to where we stand currently. Well, even just seeing George W. Bush up there, like, his presidency was normal. You know, you didn't. You may not have liked some of the things he stand for, but he wasn't tweeting out, you know, Maddow or something when he was saying bad things. Like it was a normal presidency, and it's just something we didn't appreciate until you have the, the craziness that's that's now. And, and if you look at Trump, who repeatedly calls himself a nationalist. Uh, Bush forty one was an internationalist. Um, he he, you know, it was domestic policy really that he would struggle on. But he sent people and in, uh, troops into Panama. Obviously, he uh, led the uh, the uh, into the troops into Iraq for Desert Storm. 
Um, he'll always be remembered in one of my favorite movies, The Big Lebowski, where the dude sees him on the TV saying this aggression won't stand. And later on, he's like, man, this aggression will not stand, man. Man. <laughs> so I was actually reading, a, you know, I read comic books, I, I'll admit it. And I was reading a comic book from the, from the late 80s, early 90s, and the president was George Bush. And it was just weird seeing, seeing him in there. And that was uh, before he actually died. And one of the things people actually forget is he, he I don't know if he was the, but he's one of the most popular presidents that a part in his presidency. You know, some people say he was around 90. I, I heard on the 538 podcast, I think he was plus 78, which was, you know, it's just crazy. That's, that's your approval rating. I mean, the downside of that is when, when you're that high up, you have nowhere to go but down. And, uh, you know, things happen and uh, the economy starts downshifting and that's Bill Clinton led, uh, to, uh, led him to eventually defeating Bush. Uh, so, uh, again, his, his legacy is going to be very interesting. Um, he's been called by James Baker the best one-term president we've ever had. I, I don't know. I'm not qualified to say that. But, again, it'll be interesting to see as we go forward uh, when Wait. it comes to that. You know, Jesse, you mentioned the, the famous line, read my lips, no new taxes. And I think it's important to note that, you know, that shows another contrast between what we see currently in our, our political climate to what we miss out on you know, as guys like George H.W. Bush pass on. All right, this, back in 1992, that was what was needed for our country economically. We needed that, that tax, uh, the taxes to come in. And it speaks to President Bush's service above self mentality. You know, raising taxes was what was best for the country at the time, regardless of how that would affect him politically. And it cost him the ultimate prize. It, it cost him his, his presidency, but it was what was best for the country. And we all benefited from it. Could you see that happening today? No. I mean, it's repeatedly over and over. People are saying, you know, he did what was best for the country, as you said. Now it was best for him. And I think the current presidency is the exact opposite. It's what's best for him. Uh, now it's best for the country. And I think you can really sum up um, the kind of guy that Bush was. Uh, I saw online someone posted uh, his journal entry uh, for the night that he lost the presidency, which, you know, it's going to be a traumatic and hard night for anybody in that position. And he wrote... Uh, I don't like to see all of those who have written me off right. I was absolutely convinced we would prove them wrong, but I was wrong, and they were right, and that hurts a lot. Now into bed, prepared to face tomorrow. Be strong, be kind, be generous of spirit, be understanding, and let people know how grateful you are. Don't even, don't get even. Comfort the ones I've hurt and let down. Say your prayers and ask God's, for God's understanding and strength. Finish with a smile and some gusto, and do what's right and finish strong. And that's a that's tough, you know, to write those words when you probably just had the most crushing defeat of your life. And again, you know, it didn't have to be intentional. Any comparison between President Bush and President Trump, it's just there. The writing's on the wall. This is the difference between the two of them as human beings. For a million years, we could not imagine the current president saying anything like that. We read his his writing. He doesn't write a journal. He tweets everything out. And and what he says is always. You know, it's it's got to be about him. And and this is, again, the, the whole idea of service above self, of that it's not about me. And President Bush was was certainly uh, just that. And even you just look at the Republicans of yesteryear. Uh, there's video of, of Bob Dole, who can barely stand. They got him up there. And he, you know, he was a former senator. He was the presidential candidate four years after Bush lost. And he stood up or he was helped uh, stand up and, and saluted the casket. And again, I just can't see 
that coming from Republicans stay, or, or if it does, it just seems like it's fake or, or it doesn't come from the same place. And you know, I, I miss a time in our lives where you can strongly disagree with the other party, but you can like them as people. You can I don't want to say you can respect their views, but you can respect that they have different views. And that that's just something that doesn't exist anymore, really on either side. Uh, and, and it's just it's really sad. It's it's a it's a political time that's gone and may, we may never get it back. Well, let's not lose all hope just yet. Hey, there's there's an election in two years. We'll see how and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on the podcast. Um, so on to some other news. Uh, last week, Trump's former personal attorney, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty for misstatements he made to Congress. Uh, these misstatements came while he was testifying uh, about his contacts with Russians during the 2016 presidential election. Uh, the guilty plea came after Cohen pleaded guilty uh, to a deal with Robert Mueller. Uh, this isn't the first time that Cohen has pleaded guilty, but it is the first time uh, that he's been charged by Mueller as part of the investigation to Russian election interference and possible collusions. What do you make of this? Well, certainly, given my own personal opinion of this all, I'm excited to hear anything that gets a little bit closer to the president. Uh, and, and Michael Cohen, of course, is taking some heat from the president for turning his back, if you will on him but you know he he's doing what is right you know he's speaking the truth and uh, of course like clockwork you knew this was coming because donald trump took to twitter in an angry fashion <laughs> what did you say well he said did you ever see an investigation more in search of a crime at the same time Mueller and the angry democrats aren't even looking at the atrocious and perhaps subversive crimes that were committed by crooked hillary clinton and the democrats a total disgrace and we wonder why she wouldn't shake his hand today. Yeah, it's just baffling. I mean, he's referring to the stuff as Joseph McCarthy style witch hunt. I mean, I, that's what he's doing because he's going after people that he wants to get for you know retribution with no evidence. Uh, it, it's not the other. They they have evidence for him. It, it would be like if McCarthy was going after communists and he had a lot of evidence they were working with Moscow. But you know that's obviously not the case. And the interesting thing is this all came right before the Cohen stuff went down. It makes you wonder whether Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker gave him the heads up because he is leading the investigation now, and we know he's not in favor of this investigation. So is is he just taking the information he can and giving it right to the Oval Office? I don't know. Certainly wouldn't surprise me. You know, Trump handpicked him to be in the position that he's in. Uh, and he just kept going with it on Monday, too. He said, you know, you mean Michael Cohen can do all the terrible unrelated to Trump things having to do with fraud, big loans, taxes, et cetera, and not serve a long prison term? He, blah, blah, blah. He just goes on and on because this is the guy that both he and Rudy Giuliani and many other people said was a good guy. They trusted. Now, you know, he's persona non grata. Uh, because, you know, he's he's spilling the beans. And I think the person who's probably most likely to be hurt by all of this uh, is going to be Don Jr. I mean, Jr. had previously testified before Congress regarding his family's real estate negotiations with powerful Russians. Uh, and he told them that he was only peripherally aware of the negotiations that Cohen has admitted uh, to carrying on through 2016. And I don't think that's true. I think I think he may be in big trouble. Well, and you got to love how he throws in there unrelated to Trump. First of all, referring to himself in the third person and unrelated to Trump, you know, everything's related to you. You're the president. And the only reason why this guy is even in the news is because of you. And then also he takes pot shots at Bob Mueller. Right. He tweets yeah. out Bob Mueller, who is a much different man than people think. 
notice how that cheap attempt of accusing him of impropriety has gone nowhere, right? USA Today reported that the conservative talk show host and lobbyist Jack Berkman denied being behind a scheme to offer women money uh, in exchange for making up claims of sexual harassment against Robert Mueller. That's gone nowhere. But you know what has gone places and settlements have been made and facts have proven that the president of the United States is guilty of some of these things. And just imagine if Trump were saying things about you like this or, or, or your family or even about me. I wouldn't be able to keep my mouth shut. I'd want to attack him right back. But Mother plays it cool. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't have any leaks coming out you know, from him. Uh, he's just playing his – keeping his cards close to his vest and, and seeing what happens next. Um, and interesting, you see what happened with Roger Stone. They're talking about there may be potential witness tampering because he then tweeted out after all those tweets, like, why can't it be more like my good friend Roger Stone who would never flip on me and basically promising, you know, promising without promising that he'll take care of his guys if they're loyal to him. And pretty much anybody um, who is not being nonpartisan who looks at these tweets and it says that, you know, it's, that's basically witness tampering in that the DOG prosecutes people like this all the time. Um, but you know he's he's Trump, so he gets away with it. Yeah, and we shall uh, see what happens here. But uh, you gotta, it's you, I don't even know what to say. It's been a while yeah. since we've done a podcast, but <laughs> man, it just hasn't changed at all. The more things change, the more things stay the same. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, but but it really feels like Mueller. Uh, he's ramping it up now. Maybe I think I hope. Uh, it it seems like he was waiting to get Trump's. Uh, answers in writing. So once it's set in stone, uh, no pun intended, then uh, he can go ahead and get him on lies. I mean, and that sounds ridiculous, by the way, to get the answers from Trump in writing. He says, oh, I, I wrote them all myself. My lawyers didn't help, please. We all know the lawyers helped craft or probably totally crafted his answers because Trump, he's... He's he's not a very good writer. He's not a wordsmith, you know. Yeah. We should expect if it is written by him, one word answers. Perhaps Bigley will be used somewhere. We're not even sure he can read. I got going back to the Bush funeral. I was watching it today, and there's a clip of they were like the congregation was reading something, and the Obamas, the Clintons were all reading off the off you know whatever the prayer book they gave them, and there's Trump just hands down holding it, staring straight ahead, not saying anything. Where are the pictures? Where are the pictures? <laughs> I was told there would be pictures. And you think the Christian conservatives who get behind him would have been like, why isn't he doing what everybody else is doing in the church at a funeral before president? But, you know, they let him off. Um, and Cohen's not the only former uh, Trump associate in trouble. Uh, Paul Manafort's back in the news and back in hot water. Uh, reports came in last week that Manafort had breached his plea agreement with the Justice Department by lying to the FBI and Bob Mueller's office two months after he started cooperating in the Russian probe. Uh, in the three-page filing, prosecutors said that Manafort lied on a variety of subject matters, violating his pre-agreement. Uh, Mother's office says it will provide more details at a much later date. Um, Manafort obviously disagrees with their assessment, um, but I think he's might be screwed, too, again. <laughs> sure seems like it. Uh, people want to, why would he lie? I mean, one, maybe he thought he could outsmart Bob Mueller. Um, Mother seems like a pretty smart guy. He's been outsmarting people left and right. Um, th there are some rumors out there that Manafort's afraid that he'll be assassinated by some Russian you know, assassins or whatever if he talks. I mean, I'm not sure I really believe that. Um, you know, it, it could just be something else. We don't know what's going on in the mind of Paul Manafort. 
Um, but it, it's not going to end well for him. It, it's already gone pretty poor. I mean, thanks to Manafort, uh, Mueller's already brought in, I think, $46 million. So whenever Trump whines about this whole thing costing $40 million, he's already uh, – Mueller's already brought in more money than it costs. He's in the black. Good for him. Now, all of this is well and good, Jesse, and, and Manafort is as guilty as they come, and, and so are so many of the rest of them. But what really hangs over all of this is the fact that Donald Trump is dangling pardons out there for anyone who will remain loyal to him. We all know how he values loyalty over anything else. So is this even going to matter? I'm just waiting for somebody to charge him with a state crime so that he can't get away with it. I mean, the Washington Post interviewed him last week and and asked about this potential pardon. He says, it was never discussed, but I wouldn't take it off the table. Why would I take it off the table? I don't know, because the guy is guilty and and presidents don't do that kind of thing. But again, if Manafort keeps his mouth shut, he'll reward the loyalty with a pardon. And someone asked me if it was illegal. And I said, no, it's legal. It's just not done because it's not what presidents do. Um, but, you know, what presidents do and presidents don't do, you throw that stuff out the window. It's a, it's a brave new world we're living in, unfortunately. Well, you mentioned that uh, you're waiting for state crimes, state charges to be brought against him. And I should remind our listeners that the state attorney general for the state of New York, Barbara Underwood, has already sued Donald Trump's charitable foundation this summer for illegally coordinating with his presidential campaign back in 2016 and a host of other uh, crimes, possible uh, election fraud uh, type uh, issues. So it's happening, and hopefully some more of these will happen, because if we understand our Constitution, if we read our Constitution, we know that a president cannot pardon somebody who's been convicted of a state crime, only federal. And that would keep them in their jail cells for the amount of time that they deserve. So cue the Ron Paul meme. It's happening! It's happening! <laughs> well, of course, how many times have we said that already? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was on... On John Oliver's show, whenever they come up with one of the things, he goes, we got him! And he hits a button and the balloons fall. He's like, oh, wait, no, no, we didn't get him. It's, it's still going on, fortunately. unfortunately. I mean, the way Trump looks at Manafort and just his his confidants, it reminds me of uh, a line out of Goodfellas, which I really like. Rob De Niro goes up to uh, the, the character that's played by Ray Liotta when he was younger, when he goes to court and doesn't rat on his friends, and he goes, you learn two of the greatest things in life. Never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. And if that doesn't sound like something that would come out of the mouth of Donald Trump, I don't know what else there is. Yes, and I personally like to compare my presidents to movie mobsters. <laughs> I, that's yeah. what I want you know, in the yeah. White House. Um, you know, I've seen some uh, quotes from incoming chair of the House Intel Committee, Adam Schiff, and ranking member of the Senate Intel Don't Committee. You mean Adam Schiff? Yeah, yes. According to the president, anyway. Yes, who just left that up there for a long, long time. Um, it's, it's so sad. Uh, and ranking member of the Senate Intel Committee, Mark Warner, who, by the way, is from our, our town. His hometown is where we live right now. I thought maybe I could get him uh, to help us out with the election last year. Oh, well. There's all, maybe next year. Um, they're both up in arms about the idea of this all happening. And now with, Repu with the Democrats taking back the House, they can actually do stuff. They can subpoena people. So they can stop, hopefully, some of the stuff from going on. Um, Manafort's lawyers have been briefing Trump's attorneys on what he told the investigators. It just seems so odd. Uh, it shouldn't be happening. Whether it's legal or not, it's just improper in my opinion I, I i didn't go to law school and i'm happy every day that i didn't go to law school but uh you would think a layman would be able to look at this and say something's just not right doesn't smell right seems maybe another form of collusion if you will it's every, there's no collusion no collusion. you're the puppet 
<laughs> um, on to the Speaker of the House. Last week, the House's Democratic Caucus nominated Nancy Pelosi to be the once and future Speaker of the House, and it went relatively smoothly, but for a while, it didn't look like that was going to be the case. Uh, the vote was 203 voting for Pelosi, 32 opposing her, three members leaving their ballot, ballot blank, and one person was just absent. Uh, Pelosi will be the first person since Sam Rayburn to be Speaker, lose a majority, then win the job again. And it should be noted that uh, Sam Rayburn has a building named after him, a house building. And it's probably the wackiest just constructed building in Congress. It just makes no sense the way the numbering of the rooms are. And just if, if you're ever going to several meetings in the Rayburn House office building, if you're on one one office, it just seems to be the case that the next meeting is going to be as far as humanly possible from that. And if anybody's ever been to D.C., they would understand it. Well, what, I, what do you think about her uh, re-election? Well, it's uh, very Winston Churchill-esque uh, as well. Of course, you know, he was the prime minister and then lost it. And then five years later, got it back. Not that I'm trying to compare Nancy Pelosi to Winston Churchill. <laughs> but, uh, you know, similar situation. What do I think about Nancy Pelosi? Uh, you know, I, I've, I've got my my pros and my cons. I was hoping for somebody new. I think, you know, you and I have talked about that. We'd love to see some new blood in there. But at, at this point in time, is there somebody primed and ready to go for that at such a, an opportune moment when the Democrats are taking back control of the House? You know, I don't think we have the ability. We're not in a position uh, to pick somebody brand new. I think we need to have somebody who who understands the role and can kind of whip us into shape here. Uh, so I guess that's where we're at. Hopefully we start uh, preparing somebody new for the future. Yeah, I mean, that's really Pelosi's biggest failure um, as as speaker and minority leaders, that she really didn't groom anybody to be her successor. Like you said, I think it's time for new blood. You can't just throw them in right away, cold turkey. So hopefully we see that uh, coming soon. Uh, I mean, it's it's funny because you know, we we all know that Nancy Pelosi is old, but uh, look at the other people who are in leadership. You have incoming House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, seventy nine. Incoming House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, who's seventy eight. Uh, you have a youngster in there though, as the uh, Democratic Caucus uh, Chairman. Uh, that's Hakeem Jeffries. He's only forty eight. He's a young 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 buck. Everything is um, relative. Yeah. But, you know, I understand. Like you said, we have a lot of new women in the House, a lot of minorities, a lot of fresh faces. Just You know, it's, it's, if you look at the, the House uh, Republican caucus, it's a stark contrast in, in who's in there right now. And I understand them wanting to put some new people in there. But, again, it, it has to come over time. And that could be, you know, over the next year or two. It doesn't have to be a long, long time. But, you know, Nancy Pelosi can whip the caucus like no other. And at this time, we really need unity. We need the Democrat caucus to come together, not to have these. We don't need a situation that Republicans have with the Freedom Caucus where they're holding up votes and screwing things up because something's not conservative enough. I, I know there's a lot of new members in the House Democrat caucus who want things to go even more to the left, more liberal. But, you know, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Uh, work together as a team. Right. And, you know, some members of Congress, especially these freshman legislators who are coming in, uh, have caught some flack for supporting Nancy Pelosi when perhaps they campaigned on saying that they wanted to bring new blood. I know Johanna Hayes, uh, the former National Teacher of the Year 2016, who was elected from Connecticut's 5th District, uh, caught a little bit of flack back here after getting elected because she had campaigned on saying that she was not going to support Nancy Pelosi for speaker and then ended up voting for her anyway. And her uh, her answer to that was that nobody else that was really capable of doing the job had stepped up. And the alternative is to what? Vote for a Republican for speaker? They're not going to do that. So Nancy Pelosi it is. 
Yeah, you know, it's easy to talk a big game, but when you have to stand up and nobody will step up to that position, um, you know, Mar- people were trying to get a draft in uh, Marsha Fudge, but she didn't want it. Um, and you can't put people in there who don't want it. So uh, we'll, we'll see going forward. It'd be really interesting to see how the how the White House reacts to the uh, democratically controlled House, big D democratically, that is, and uh, and just see if, if Trump gives in a bit, which, you know, knowing Trump probably won't happen, or whether he just starts calling them all a bunch of liars and crooks like he does, you know, usually. So. You know, I think it's important we should, uh, we should mention, Jess, that these same progressives, the liberal wing, a lot of these young folks that have been elected to Congress for the first time, you know, they wanted newer, younger leadership in the House, but... These are the same people who were feverishly backing the 77-year-old Bernie Sanders for president yeah, in 2016. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. And do you think it's because Pelosi is a woman? If she was a man in that position, do you think even even coming from her own caucus, do you think it would have been any different? Uh, I'm not so sure. If we're talking Republicans now, if we're talking the president, <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. I don't know how much. Maybe that factored in some uh, in the Democratic caucus, but uh, – yeah, I, I certainly would say that uh, the president and his his folks would have uh, been that way because she's a woman. Uh, speaking of the, uh, you know, we just mentioned a few minutes ago the incoming House Majority uh, Leader Steny Hoyer. Um, I have a friend who works in Congress and he's an investigator. So I won't name won't name him for obvious reasons, but because he's an investigator for one of the committees, his number is blocked even within you know, congressional offices. So sometimes he gets bored and. Have you ever seen the show TMZ? Yes. At the end, Harvey Levin goes, I'm a lawyer. And everyone's going to call up Steny Hoyer's office and go, I'm Steny Hoyer, and then just hang up. <laughs> These are the people that are running the country, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you got to have a little fun once in a while, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, all right. Last thing I want to bring up before we get to Kevin's corner uh, is the upcoming, yeah, I said upcoming 2020 presidential election. Uh, as we just mentioned when talking about the Speaker of the House, there's been a lot of talk about diversity when it comes to this election. Um, a lot of liberals want something different from the past. And when it comes to the past, you really have just white males. Uh, and there were a lot of people out there. There's going to be a lot of people involved in this, uh, the early days of the Democratic primaries. Um, but two of the early favorites just have emerged over the last couple of weeks are exactly just that, white males. Beto O'Rourke and Sherrod Brown. I mean, Beto was originally considered something of a dark horse candidate a few weeks ago, but he has recently seen a, uh, seen a ground swell of, of support. Um, you know, I wouldn't compare him to Obama quite yet, but uh, some of Obama's former aides are calling doing just that. He actually met with Obama recently. Um, you know, Beto's been asked about it, and you know, he hasn't dismissed it. And at this point, he'd be foolish not to. He's got a lot of name recognition and a lot of momentum, even coming out of the loss. Um, Kevin, you know, you're a big Beto fan. You were down in Texas uh, during the campaign. You saw it firsthand. Uh, what do you what do you make of Beto being a front or one of the front runners for the 2020 presidential nomination? Yeah, while he did dismiss it during the Senate campaign, uh, saying that you know he was not running for president because he wanted to focus on his Senate race, he's he's changed his tune a little bit, and I think rightfully so. I think sometimes in politics, you have to strike while the iron is hot. You have to capitalize on your opportunity. And there is no time like the present for him. And as you mentioned, Jess, when I was in Houston over the summer, the Beto fever was real in places where you would have never expected it to come from. And while he did lose, I think the the amount of progress that he made in a state like Texas, as deeply red as it is, to perform that way and to lose by only a couple of percentage points to Ted Cruz, a, a sitting incumbent, uh, that was remarkable. 
And I think if you take that outside of the state of Texas to the United States at large in places that are not as conservative as as Texas is, he's going to perform very, very well and be able to get crossover votes and such. So, you know, people have compared him to Obama. I compare him to possibly President Lincoln. If we all remember that Lincoln, like O'Rourke, was a congressman for only one term. O'Rourke's been in a couple and then ran a Senate race in 1858 and lost to Stephen Douglas only two years later to turn around and win the presidency. Uh, not to mention they're tall, skinny guys, too. So, you know, we shall see. You know, it, it, does he resemble these guys in, in deed as well as uh, in the way he looks? Or, you know, is this just a, a flash in the pan? But I, for one, I'm on Team Beto all the way. He's never going to be hotter than he is right now. Uh, and it's just interesting that he can get people fired up and want to vote and excited but not by fear-mongering like Donald Trump does. He does it with a positive message. We saw lots of videos of people uh, you know, saying, I, I disagree with you on this. How could you be for that? And he says, you know what? I understand where you're coming from. I disagree with you, and here's why. And the people go you – know, they accept that. They go, okay, because you can dis- – reasonable people can disagree reasonably. And I think that he's been able to show that he can do just that. So uh, we'll see if this goes on. I mean we're only a couple months before the, the campaign season kicking off again because we'll have, uh, you know, what, a, a year, a little over a year probably before the first primary start. Uh, so 2019 will be a, a fun time to see who's going to jump in. So the other one we just mentioned was Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown. Um, he just kicked butt in Ohio as a state, which was mostly voted Republican in every other race recently. Uh, and the fact that he's openly considering a run uh, and that he could possibly win an important swing state like Ohio, I, I believe that – um, no Republican has ever won the presidency without winning Ohio. So if you have somebody you could potentially throw Ohio back into the mix, uh, that's a very big deal. Um, and he'd be a good pick to win back the working class voters. Um, people seem to like him. He, he doesn't come off as an elite. And I, I'm not saying that in a negative way either. He, he can you know, talk to middle America. He can talk to New York, the coasts. And uh, that's something that might be – and he's, he's a qu- quieter guy. We don't usually hear his name being thrown around, but – uh, he, he's he's a guy who's really thinking about it right now and might be a smart choice. And Ohio does border West Virginia, you know, beautiful, clean coal country. And yeah. if the Democratic Party wants to win back some of those votes, maybe they need somebody from that region. Sherrod might be able to get Michigan. Uh, we've already seen Democrats make strides in Wisconsin. Uh, so, uh, you know, these it, it's really going to be because there's so many people out there. There's Joe Biden, there's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Kristen Gillibrand, uh, Michael Bloomberg, I think, went to went to Iowa this week. Uh, it just keeps going on and on and on. And that's only a partial list. Although I, it sounds like Deval Patrick is not going to be um, running for president, which very much upset Michael Avenatti, I saw online but you know michael avenatti who is also now not going to run for president yeah i I wonder why you know he's had some uh trouble of his own um i I know the current democratic party and the uh the the real i want to say the far left but you know the further left than centrist uh democrats really want diversity um, but again, uh, much like when it came to Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Nominate the person with the best chance of winning, of beating Donald Trump, regardless of race, gender, religion, etc. Um, if it's a white man, great. If it's a black woman, great. I don't care. My main concern is beating President Donald Trump. And um, that should be, in my opinion, the, the number one goal that we have when nominating someone 
to the uh, to the Democratic nomination. And and I say that I guess so much for being non-biased on this podcast. Sorry, <laughs> but hey, you know that's things evolve, and this podcast has evolved for the left. I guess again, <laughs> as we've said though from the beginning, that Donald Trump is not truly Republican either. He, no. he is a man for himself. And when we see what he is trying to do to this country uh, with his own agenda and his own best interests in mind, that is beyond political party or ideology. You know, it, it's wanting to get rid of him does not necessarily a Democrat make or Republican for that matter. It, it's exactly. wanting good governance back. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not advocating against the GOP as it was, you know, however many years ago, as, as it is right now, because the GOP is the party of Trump. Um, and, you know, I, I, you have to think people like George Herbert Walker Bush uh, to see the party that they ran on for so long uh, become what it is. I mean, it's just it's got to be sickening. All right, Kevin, what do we have for Kevin's Corner this week? Well, Jesse, on this day where the nation bids farewell to former President George Herbert Walker Bush, it is important to reflect on his service and put it into the perspective of our current political climate. President Bush was of an era where political ideology was not the be-all to end-all of governing, where members of both parties sought the advice and approval of their colleagues across the aisle. President Bush scoffed at the idea of being what he called campaign mode and detested how negative and accusatory political campaigning can be. President Bush was also an internationalist who sought to improve our standing in the world by fostering relationships with foreign nations, seeking our common ground, drawing on his experiences as vice president and as ambassador to the United Nations and to China prior to having been chosen to lead the country into the post-Cold War era. As we see a new 21st century Cold War brewing on the horizon, we should look once again to our history, to presidents like George H.W. Bush, who believed in public service for the public good who rose above self-aggrandizement and in some cases put the needs of the nation over their own political futures. Before we despair that an era of good government has come to a close with President Bush's passing, let us draw upon his commitment to service and to country so that we might strive towards these shared ideals that have held us together for over two centuries and let us not stop until we achieve, in the words of another former president, John F. Kennedy, the torch being passed to a new generation of Americans who are unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed at home and around the world. <sighs> yep, you see, you said it, Kevin. There's just we, we've learned a lot from I think the reflection on the presidency of of George Walker Bush and just you know where we are as a country. And I really hope we can get back to a point where you know where the we're the loyal opposition, not necessarily the enemies, uh, and that's really how the parties see each other these days. So, all right. Hopefully, we get another podcast out soon. If, if you haven't been able to tell, we haven't been weekly for a while, but we're still trying to be maybe bi-weekly or weekly if it works out. It's what happens, you know, when we are dedicated individuals to helping our community. We both have so many things going on that uh, we—it's hard to find time, not just to do the podcast, but the research, research it, make sure we know what we're talking about. Um, but we're going to do our best to bring this podcast to you because I love doing it. Kevin loves doing it. And we know you guys love listening to us. And certainly to our listeners, we do apologize. As Jesse said, we do enjoy doing this. And, and we really are going to try our best to find the time to make sure we get everything in and we can produce one of these on a regular basis and get them out to you uh, because we, th we think it's important. You know, again, as we've always said, uh, this is not normal. 
and we don't ever want to let it become as such. So, you know, we will continue to talk and analyze what's going on with the president in Washington uh, and bring what we feel is, you know, an objective take on on the world. And just because we may seem biased, well, that's well, that's what's really happening. I mean, we're talking about um, a crazy presidency, and I think that's objective, honestly. All right, uh, go to our website at www.grabthembythepod.com. And until the next episode, Kevin, it's been fun. Later. Later.